welcome to Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Michelle Davy, and this is my co-host. Hi everyone, it's me, Christelle. Christelle, we're not Michelle today. Oh, are we not? <laughs> no, we've got a whole house full of guests today. We have got Tom joining us. Hi, Tom. Hello. Marlin from Sensational Learning with Penguin. Hello. And we've got Louise from Neurodivergent underscore Lou. Hello, Louise. Hi. So Marlene and Tom, welcome back to Let's Talk Autism podcast. And Lou, welcome to it because you are brand new. You're one of our brand new guests. And we're super, super excited to have you on today. Because I tell you what, Chris, we've had loads of messages lately, haven't we? And it's been really exciting since we've been doing this new format with our show, whereby mm-hmm. we have parents of autistic children or adults. Yes on the show but we also have members of the autistic community and people with additional needs and we can all then speak together and and actually learn so Marlin we were talking weren't we about interoception so tell us a little bit about what you know about interoception and Tom and Lou you tell us as well basically I'm just gonna throw it out there and everyone (laughs) can hook onto it and start talking (laughs) You know, I I know it from my point of view. I know it's been really important for me to learn about it to help. Um, It's helped me understand um, my son better. And um, I mean, although I realised I have some autistic traits, I don't think interoception is a big, um, has been such a big thing for me, but it has definitely been a very big one for my son. So, because I know that a lot of people out there still are new to it it's like a term that hasn't really been circulating that much until the last five years or so maybe and what does it and mean interoception because I actually yeah. hadn't ever heard of it had you Chris no I had never heard of it until yeah so it's sometimes called the eighth sense uh, so like we have the normal five senses that everyone learns about at school and then we have vestibular and proprioceptive which is to do with a positioning and movement of the body and input to muscle and joints and then interoception is like the eighth sense which is about sensory signals inside the own body so to pick up when you're thirsty and are hungry or tired or signals of pain to locate where the pain is or what the pain feels like and you need the toilet that's typically one of those things where I get a bit annoyed sometimes when I read about someone talking about toilet training and uh, and don't mention interoception because if you don't understand that maybe the person isn't feeling it themselves or is feeling it very differently then it seems almost disrespectful to go in and and talk about rewards and even rewards can sometimes be a bit like using punishments if you take something away because they've failed to to do something tell you when they need the toilet for example and it's really important to understand that there's there's actually you know neurological physical things that are in the background of this so i'm just trying to understand and like just break it down you know for our us newbies so is it something something that helps you to feel yeah because it can be linked to emotions as well actually a little bit so yeah it 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 leads into emotion quite a lot Mm. if you've got kind of the the sort of different ends of the autism kind of emotional spectrum where you've got people who are like very highly charged emotionally or someone like me who's much on the other end where i'm much like very emotionally muted that ties directly into introspection. Mm-hmm. So sort of the more awareness you can have of interoception or whatever it is, the, um, mm-hmm. the more you can kind of be aware of, because for me, it's very difficult to identify 
any of my emotions or also what's going on mentally but then also is physically so like it's been super hot in London recently and the way I know I'm hot is because I'm sweaty <laughs> so I don't necessarily feel particularly hot and the same for being yeah. cold as well like I don't necessarily know I'm cold unless I'm shivering so it's like a real kind of so there's either either end of the scale sort of thing with this yeah some people very sort of struggle with the can it, it can be the other end where it's it's too intense to sort Lou, of understand what's, what's happening yeah thanks Tom so so Lou what's your interoception like so it can be I think it's normally kind of like I'm not very sensitive to interoceptive kind of system so for example I might struggle with not recognizing the heat or not recognizing the cold struggling to recognize emotions as well so for example for a neurotypical person they might um, easily be able to identify their emotions because they their interoceptive system is receptive to the internal kind of stimuli so their heart might be racing they might be shaking but for an autistic person the signals to their brain might not sort of pick up as like as strongly for someone who isn't as sensitive so that means that they don't get those signals and then they can't recognize the emotion associated with that like anxiety for example yeah that's an interesting point as well because it's something I mean it's this is all quite new to me as well because we talked about before I sort of got diagnosed at 34 like it's I didn't realize until around about that time that I was having regular panic attacks because it was a physical response with no emotional response so it's like why does my heart feel like it's racing like why do I feel like sweaty like why sort of just assumed I was probably diabetic or something and it was like a sugar crash so it's like mm. you can just be very disconnected with what's happening with your body and emotionally at the same time and not really understanding what the connections are so your body's giving you clues as to what's going on so for example if you were hungry you might not know that you're hungry but if you hear your belly growling then you're you'd think oh I must be hungry it's more like if um because like I hunger is another thing like I I I can either overeat or undereat because you sort of like you just get to the point where you're like oh why do I feel so shaky and like weird and you're like oh I haven't eaten today and it's five o'clock in the, in the evening you need to go and eat yeah. something because your all your signals are, are just kind of way off and it's sort of it's almost like your body speaking a different language to your understanding of what's going on it's like a translation issue yeah. somewhere yeah so Marlene how did you come to know about interoception I think it's because I started reading a lot of posts by occupational therapists mainly American ones probably it just happened to be that way I suppose when I was just trying to learn more about all the everything sensory really came across it and realized that you know this is super important and then there were some things that some things that I've noticed like um, with pain for example I find that is like so important that it's understood and like the medical profession need to know as well that if they're talking to an autistic person or, or even more difficult I suppose if it's a person with severe communication difficulties but using my son as an example then if he has if it's obvious that he's in some kind of pain we've thought before you know until a few years ago we would have kept asking him to try to show us some somehow he's non-verbal and you know to show us somehow where he's hurting and he might sort of tap on his head and then we might go oh is it a headache (laughs) and really you know then after a while we might realize that no it was constipation for example that was causing the pain it wasn't a headache at all but what we realized is it's not just a communication issue the problem is as well that he 
uh, may not pick up the signals inside his body of where the pain is coming from. Also, I mean, I've then, you know, asked other people about it, uh, what their experiences have been and what um, I've also read some, you know, some things online from people who have described uh, for example, that they themselves had something quite wrong, like uh, with an appendix, for example, that was close to bursting because the doctors would ask them to describe the pain. And if it isn't like on a scale that high a pain, they think it's not that bad, but actually it can be that the person isn't picking up on the pain themselves or isn't so picking up on it being the same. Generally, something hurts as well. Like you just get used to a baseline level of constant pain somewhere because it's, mm. I mean, it's usually like, for me, it's like, I don't hold my posture very well. I don't really understand. Like, so mm. there's always something always hurts. So it's quite hard to identify a more serious pain than the general pain. Yeah. So like I actually, one time I broke my neck snowboarding yeah. and I didn't go to hospital for five weeks because yeah. it just... I was like, well, that's the sort of thing. I probably haven't broken my neck because who breaks their neck? And then right. I ended up going to hospital. We had an x ray, and the, the doctor looked really pale when they came back. Yeah. Five weeks. And I broke, like, you know, metal plates in my, like, I've broken most of the bones in my body. And, like, I've, you know, tried to sleep off broken arms and, like, I've broken my mm. fingers and just kind of set them myself because you're just like, mm. pain's such. And it's, it's quite hard to identify where something hurts as well. Cause I, you know, I suffer from a lot of migraines and I went to the doctors when I was younger and they're like well whereabouts does it hurt and you're kind of like I don't know yeah. here somewhere it's a <laughs> pain yeah. it's also it feels a bit like um like it's an internal sense that's extroverted so like mm-hmm. I've got really sensitive skin like very very sensitive like all my clothes have to be very soft fabric and so like the outside of my skin is very sensitive but anything on the inside isn't so it's almost like the sense is kind of flip the wrong way around so you're like very sensitive but at the same time like I've broken my toe and walked six miles on it before and it's it's like there's no it's it seems very illogical but there's something there's just something flipped there when I was reading up on this and my son when he was free he was diagnosed and he had this accident in a soft play center that he actually split his chin so much he had to have 10 stitches inside 10 stitches outside like he had to, actually had to be put under general anaesthetic to have this done. He had this gaping hole in his face. I was pregnant with my youngest son and I put him in the seat next to me, drove him to the nearest hospital and he had his finger in the hole just, just exploring, basically, this new hole in his face. And I just couldn't get my head around that he wasn't crying, that he wasn't in pain. Do you know what I mean? Um but so that's that. But then now he's seven and he could brush his toe against something and scream as if his toe had fallen off. <laughs> like sometimes I wonder, ha- has he become more? S- I don't know. Do you know that's, what? That mean? makes sense to me, though. Yeah. That actually makes sense. So like yeah. I had um, corrective ear surgery two years ago and I got quite a bad infection. Like the whole side of my face swelled up and it's infections are painful. So I had to go back to the surgeon and he had to open it all up. And then, so we opened the wound up and then had to drain it, then stuff it with gauze again in an infected wound without anesthetic. Mm. And he commented on it. It's like this, you know, normally you can't do this much to someone. And it's not that it doesn't hurt. It still hurts just as much, but it's, it's kind of almost, it feels like a selective shutdown. So if you have a like have a catatonic shutdown, it feels like a sort of selective shutdown and that like 
it hurts and it hurts as much as you'd expect it to hurt but you can almost disassociate a degree and just kind of accept that something has to happen it's just a very kind of like logical decision of okay if I'm just sit here don't move let him do this Mm -hmm. that's what needs to happen the more you know I can cause a scene but it's not going to help me so it's kind of it's like there's I think it's part of the emotional disconnect of the feeling as well you can kind of just separate your emotion from the situation yeah I definitely agree I think sometimes it will depend on how like emotion like how emotional how sensory overloaded I am depending on how I will then react to pain if I am in a relatively sensory overloaded that day then I'm going to be much more sensitive to pain because sensory aspects are kind of physical um, and they do sensory aspects cause physical pain for me so it's kind of like I'm already dealing with that and I think there's part of it you kind of get used to the sensory overload causing pain so it's almost as if like physical pain is sometimes then less painful because sensory overload is my everyday life so you kind of get you know lower pain threshold yeah I'd agree with that but you know when you say sensory overload obviously I like to break things down just because sometimes people are not used to the language so Mm -hmm. can it be things such as sound light yeah Yeah. so for me when I have a sensory overload it'll be smells light noise can also be visual things so it'll be like noises will become amplified um, and feel very loud as if I'm kind of like in a sort of cinema with everything around me um and then like the visual it will be like physically painful for my eyes like all the colors will go like extra bright as well with my son as well I think I don't know if it's like he's sort of form of masking as well because sometimes I think he copies other people's reactions so you see if he falls over in the park he'll do this big loud scream and sort of fall to the floor and clutch his leg or whatever and then I kind of know that he hasn't really hurt himself that much. Does that make sense? Because then I'll just sort of, he doesn't usually let me cuddle him. If he, if he genuinely has hurt himself, I cannot comfort him. That, that is, is too much for me to, and, and I feel terrible if we are at a park or somewhere and he's always falling over in a school run and I go to give him a hug because he just, he doesn't want that. And the it's more too I much think, sensory information coming in. Yeah. And for a long while when I, you know after his uh, diagnosis I kind of didn't understand that but then (laughs) I know this is a bad example it might not be a bad example but it's a it's a it's a true example do you know what I hate do you know when you're you're being sick like physically sick and someone tries to rub your back and as a kid and as a teenager and as an adult even I've morning season I hate that I'm like why are you touching me when I'm in this much discomfort so I can kind of see you know, I was just screaming at my husband, get out. <laughs> why are you looking at me? So I can kind of see why my son doesn't then want me now to put my hands on him and make a big fuss and speak to him. Oh, you're okay. And all this fussy, fussy attention going in his, his mind as well. And, you know, drawing attention to it. But I do wonder sometimes when he does sort of around people and he hurts himself and does these sort of loud yeah. sort of outbursts, whether it's his way of kind of being like, that's what everybody else does when they fall off the swing. You don't want to feel like a misfit, which you do. And you kind of want to feel like you can fit in and it's sort of, it's just that kind of masking behaviour, like, oh, this is what people do when, they're, when they hurt themselves. And it's it's also quite, I mean, for me, and I think it is a, quite a common autistic trait, it's quite hard. I have to constantly remind myself that my experience isn't the same as everyone else's. Mm-hmm. 
and I think it comes as part of that so it's sort of like oh I should everyone else does this when they fall over so I should probably do that as well but they're not really necessarily understanding but I had a, a question as well I don't, I don't know whether this is to do with interoception, but I just want to pick your brains about it. So my son, eating is very difficult. So when he eats, the texture of things is very important. But in saying that, the texture of things that he eats are different. They're not all the same, for example. So I, I noticed he likes things like chicken nuggets. So I just assumed he'd like fish fingers because it's crummy as well. Mm. But he likes noodles, which is wet. But he everything that he eats, he has to feel it with his hands so i always try to introduce new food to him but i noticed that if i try and encourage him to have food he almost acts as if i'm hurting him textures are difficult so like i like all different types of food but i don't like mixing Mm. so like i don't like yogurt with crunchy bits in it but i would like crunchy bits or yogurt but like mm. if, if you know, if you kind of know what you want and you kind of need to approach stuff sort of delicately, like um, Louise said, it's sort of it sensory overload can cause physical pain as well. So when it just becomes very intense, yeah. then you just don't want to eat it anyway. Because it will confuse me because sometimes I've, he might pick up the same thing I've offered him. But because he's kind of the person controlling the situation, his reaction is different as to when I'm coming to him. I feel like I'm trying to be helpful, but to him it's like, get away from me, woman, you know? Yeah, I definitely think as well with part of it it's like it's like everything in the world feels out of control being an autistic person in a neurotypical world whether that's sensory issues or like social language feels out of control and it feels like everybody else understands it and you're the one that doesn't so it's like the one thing that you feel like you can control and physically like choosing a food that fits your sensory needs rather than kind of like every day walking around you're just kind of thrust in, thrust into like painful situation so it's like that can be my thing that I can kind of control and that helps me meet my own needs almost and I think different textures like I like foods that are different textures and I guess I would describe it like how neurotypicals obviously like food that's different I think autistic people do like different types of food except sometimes you might be more restricted over what specific types of food but like I still like different textures it does help me regulate regulate myself so like also in terms of like heavy pressure sometimes I like then sometimes I'll also like want no one to touch me so it's kind of the same with food it's like sometimes I'll go with food that's crunchy or food that's soft so that I can kind of get that sensory balance in place I think that makes a lot of sense like so it's when people say they're hungry for a certain you know you, you fancy something for me it's it's the texture so like do I fancy eating something crunchy or do I fancy eating something and if you if you don't fancy eating something of the texture, it's just it's you know you might as well be eating mud. It's like you don't you just don't want that. But the taste uh, is not as important. Kind of yes and no. Like it, it like with chicken, I can get chicken nuggets. Like if you could like those, but then fish fingers, it's suddenly it is it's the same but different in a weird way. So like if you're not fancying that fish like edge on something <laughs> yeah. you're familiar with then it is just very jarring um I think like with the different things I think it's some autistic people can be hypersensitive um to taste so they taste things a lot more strongly so they might go for more bland food because they want something that's like they taste everything extra strongly so they go for something that might be kind of bland and then that makes it kind of easier because it's like well everything tastes strong so I'm just going to go with something that feels safe and feels more in the middle um and I think like the different fish for example it can smell that's another thing it's like foods that smell that's going to be difficult and yeah like it can 
I think taste does matter like to me personally because I wouldn't go for something that's particularly strong because I'm already kind of overloaded but then I also know other autistic people who like strong things it kind of helps them to regulate too so yeah definitely can depend. I was so glad to hear Louise that you said about um about control because that was exactly what I was gonna <laughs> was gonna say as well that I think the thing of being in control like you were saying Christella if you suggest if you suggest it too strongly to your son he won't want to eat it and I think that goes for almost everything and like you said uh, Louise that if you're autistic it it can often be like almost everything is sort of out of there's so much that it's out of control so it's really important that the things that you can have choice and control about yourself that you get to do that and it gets really stressful quite easily if if someone else tries to control and and like you said as well Tom with the demand avoidance even if you don't have pathological demand avoidance a lot of autistic people have some level of demand avoidance and but yeah when something becomes a a demand I said this about learning to someone only yesterday as well that you know when you're if you're trying to teach someone something if it becomes a demand then immediately it becomes something that you have to get away from and it's like a it's like a um, like a panic fear kind of I need to get away from this situation sort of thing so with food I found it it's much better to just leave food out and my son can come back and and grace sort that's of what, and, and that's what I did when Marlene. yeah I wanted to ask about you know we're talking about interoception does that can that include how you feel in terms of like things like fear or excitement do you have to kind of like let's say there's a yeah. lion in front of you you might just be staring at the lion would you have to say to yourself dangerous lion <laughs> i should be scared yeah that's the result of quite a lot of my injuries is just total lack of fear response mm. <laughs> quite often got yeah. myself in trouble mm. or yeah. maybe a misguided fear response sometimes like mm. you're not at all like uh like my son is scared of birds small birds like chicken mainly <laughs> actually um weird looking. not <laughs> yeah they're weird looking like chicken turkey all those sorts of like weird with weird dangly bits on their heads that sort of thing yeah uh, they freak him out but, <laughs> but he's fine with something like an emu which is a much yeah. more dangerous bird and he will go mm. right up to the fence if, if we're in an animal park and there's an emu he's perfectly cool about that it's no problem mm. you know another thing about control to do with interoception and and sensory inputs in general that i think it relates to eating as well in a way that it seems like if you have an other sensory input which you can control at hand, then you can put up with some sensory discomfort. I'd like to know if if Tom and Lou, if, if you can at all relate to this. Like for example, with my son then, he um, if he needs to go to the toilet, he needs to have a screen with him because then he can look at the screen. He, that's something he can control. He'll focus on that. He'll enjoy the sounds and visuals that are on the screen and then he doesn't, then he can relax and go to the toilet. He wouldn't be able to do otherwise. And eating, like when I started allowing the TV to be on for eating, that made him made his appetite so much better. I definitely relate to what we're saying about food. I think that for me, like a safe food refers to like a food that an autistic person like really might really like um, and have a lot because it feels safe um but 
if I have a safe food, it just eliminates another decision out of my day. Like there's already so many decisions I have to make, like with sensory uh, with sensory issues. I'm like constantly trying to mitigate them or with social, like following social cues, I'm constantly having to make decisions that I think come more uh, innately to neurotypical people. So with something like, oh, I can have um a, a safe food and then that becomes part of my routine so that's another kind of safety factor it feels like oh it's part of my routine it's something I know so I'm just going to keep having that food until I kind of get bored of it and then it's like got a new food then that can be really helpful just having that sense of structure and I think also like having something that you can control especially if it's something that gives sensory input while you're yeah. like eating or something like that it's like yeah like it it gives me that sensory input so I'm not inside my own hairs as well I think a lot of autistic people struggle with maybe like remembering things that like that has happened in the day whether that's like thoughts or like ruminating on sense like social experiences that have happened or noises or lights or whatever during the day I think it's like another sensory like a positive sensory influence like an ipad or phone or something like that can just be a really nice distraction so is there a way of improving interoception yeah you can build awareness for it so it's one thing that i learned through my therapist is mm. um how i mean for me as well massively yoga has been a huge help and because it's something i've never done before but it's after sort of going through it and sort of really getting into yoga it's sort of the breathing exercises and then the way that you have specific stretches and postures and it makes you focus on parts of like your body. So it's, I mean, I would highly recommend yoga with Adrian on YouTube. She's been really good, but for me, so I've suffered from migraines for a really long time. And it sort of, a lot of it came down to like my posture generally being like that and not really understanding it. And then you sort of like muscle pull here, which pulls here, which then pulls here. And then suddenly your whole like back and shoulders and neck are inflamed and you've got a migraine mm, again, but even just, yeah. just going through yoga and like, understanding now because i you know a balance i can't remember what the word for it is but balance is another part of the sort of um the little group of things that are tricky so it's it really helps your sense of balance which is also your position in space which then helps you not walk into so many things that's really good so, so for tom you've had the yoga marlin does anything help your son well now about uh, learning learning more like about the body sort of looking at mm. you know studying uh, how the body works i, th- I think that uh, probably has helped a little bit and then I think Great. it also helps like when you're growing it changes anyway so like my mm. son's 14 now so you know things change all the time anyway um, and uh, I mm. suppose that's, that's that lovely. understanding of your own body is just something that has to keep mm. keep developing but it's good yes. to get some some tips about the uh, yoga and that exercise is always helpful isn't it for regulating that so yeah yeah and Lou do you have any pointers for us um I think having a visual timetable can be helpful like it definitely helps me manage things like having a drink like I have that like on a visual timetable and then I can see that and like remind myself I also have like lists of kind of emotions and body sensations so like with anxiety I might have like heart racing feeling shaky um breathing gets faster and then that will help me kind of identify the body sensations and then look at kind of the emotion behind that that definitely helps me (laughs) yeah thank you so much for all those pointers yeah no it's been great this evening and I really hope that all of you are going to come back and join us on another episode I just roped you in you're you're on the list (laughs) doesn't matter if you say no anyway
But uh, <laughs> she'll hunt you down. Yeah, hunt you down. Yeah, where can we find you? Let's uh, let's all drop our handles. So with it, so now, Tom. <laughs> uh, I'm on Instagram at Tom Watts Dop, and I've got a drag account which is Mischief Donovan, both on Instagram. We're on Sensational Learning with Penguin everywhere, sort of. And Lou. <laughs> at neurodivergent underscore Lou on Instagram. Thanks so much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you all tonight. And yeah, that's it for another week, Christelle. Christelle can't be bothered to do our bit where we speak afterwards. So that's it. I'm going to say goodbye <laughs> to you. Yeah, she's all talked out. She's all talked out. <laughs> no, it's been a longer episode, but I think it was yes. it was needed, you know, because... Yeah, there was so so much information there, and um, we're really mm-hmm. grateful for you to for joining us. So thanks everybody, and uh, thanks, and adios, thanks adios. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.